This service is an invitation for us to take some time to be with death, to remember those who have died, to honor the memories that are now in our care, and to recognize the influences that live on within and among us. In the spirit of Halloween and Samhain, in the spirit of All Saints Day and All Souls Day, in the spirit of Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, we seek not only to make a place for our remembrances, but to make a place for the acknowledgement of death's inextricable ties to life itself. To look upon it without blinking or flinching as best we can. To remember. And remembrance, I have to say, feels like a bit of a radical activity when powerful people are telling us that 230,000 deaths from COVID-19 are, quote, practically nothing, unquote. And when we are said to be perpetually turning a corner, apparently to keep us from being able to look back at where we've traveled thus far. The New York Times headline you saw on the slide I just showed U.S. deaths near 100,000, an incalculable loss, was used in our Memorial Day service on May 24th of this year. 100,000 was an incalculable loss. What do we call 130,000 more in the five plus months since then? What calculations can possibly account for what was virtually unimaginable just months ago? And quite possibly the task is not to calculate it, but to confront the reality. How do we respond to all of these losses and each of these losses? How long would it take just to read the names? Then to realize that each name is but a pebble dropped into the water and that the ripples spread out to include so many others. Ripple out in ways that we will never be able to fully trace. To realize that the people who have died in these past months of non-COVID related causes, that they have also experienced the cruel yet necessary isolation from loved ones as we all strive to protect one another from this virus, keeping our distance when closeness is called for, caught on one side or the other of a window, a door, a computer screen, a telephone. To realize that losses experienced last year or the year before or many years ago, that the grief around these losses can take on new and sometimes bewildering forms in these current circumstances. We need to open up, we are told, and most often that is referring to schools and business and the economy, but I believe we are called to open ourselves up to the sadness of all that has happened. We need to heal, we are told, and all too often that means hiding our struggles, scotch-taping our broken hearts, 
getting on with it, whatever we are told it happens to be. But I believe we need to heal from denial, dismissal, and from a skewed understanding of what needs healing and what healing means. My brother, father of my nephew Harrison Harry Richards, who I showed a photo of, who died in 2017 at the age of 29. My brother said in a recent phone conversation, and I will paraphrase as best I can, he said that he was tired of people telling him it will get better. I'm not waiting for it to get better, he said. I'm not asking for the sorrow to fade. It is a part of it, a part of me, a part of Harry, and that's how it is. What I carry, it's what I carry, and that's how it is. I'm not looking for it to get easier. I don't even know what that is supposed to mean. You see, the healing we offer in this culture often does not feel like healing on the receiving end. It feels more like dismissal, discomfort with another's sorrow. Buddhist teacher and author Pima Chodron writes, We think that the point is to pass the test or overcome the problem, but the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. Then they come together again and fall apart again. It's just like that. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, for relief, for misery, for joy. And this desire to overcome the problem that children describes leads to widely and wildly varying guidance surrounding the subject of death as we struggle with the emotions that accompany the deaths of people who are close to us and the prospects of our own inevitable deaths. We are told to mourn and grieve when we experience the death of someone close to us or we are told not to spend time, valuable time mourning and grieving depending on who is doing the telling. If we don't seem sufficiently mournful, we are told we're not dealing with our grief properly, which will hinder us from really living. And if we do seem to be grieving, we are told not to get so fixated on death when we should focus on life. If we hold a service, we ask ourselves if this is what the person now dead would have wanted. And if we honor the dead person's wishes, we are reminded that services of remembrance are for the living after all. We are given varying opinions about the minimum and maximum times to allow for the mourning process and we are sometimes made to feel like we have failed if we can't testify to reaching that obscure and ambiguous state known as closure. We look understandably to novelists and poets and songwriters to articulate the mystery that we sense. The dead are not under the earth. They are in the rustling trees. They are in the groaning woods. They are in the crying grass. They are in the moaning rocks. 
The dead are not under the earth. Beautiful. Beautifully resonating with what we suspect to be true. I understand it on a deep level. The cosmology, the theology, the science even. Through death they have become part of a bigger life, less defined but more encompassing. They are no longer here, they are everywhere. I get that. And the thought of encountering the ongoing presence and spirits of those we have loved and lost in the wind and the snow and the rain, in the rustling trees, the groaning woods, the crying grass and the moaning rocks is a beautiful portrait of a transcendent experience. But let's be real. There is a trade-off. The price of those we love who have died, the price of them being anywhere and everywhere is that they can no longer be somewhere in particular. And we experience that as loss. We who still reside among the living, as moved as we are, can connect with those fleeting moments that put us in touch with anywhere and everywhere, those moments that seem to hover just beyond the boundaries of our daily attention, we who reside among the living still feel the necessity of the somewhere. So we go to their graves, we go to a favorite spot, we come to a service to speak the names, to remember to honor those who have died, to recall their impact on our lives, to face our own feelings about life and death. And when we do that, there is no right way to feel, no right way to proceed, no handbook on how to grieve, on how to remember, on how to think about death. It is a great mystery and an incontrovertible reality which is why the customs that surround death that we recognize today can be traced back into the most distant history of our species and will most likely continue into the distant, unimaginable future. Death is there always, as complex as life, and we can only bring to it whatever we have to bring, whether it be anxiety or peace, laughter or tears, grief or acceptance, anger or sadness or some impossible to explain mixture of all of the above and that is okay. Don't leave your broken heart at the door. Bring it to the altar of life. Don't leave your anger behind. It has high standards and the world needs vision. Bring them with you and your joy. There is no correct way to approach death. Death is as complicated and even more mysterious than life. We can't help but feel that ambig ambiguity and complexity in our emotions toward it. It has all the familiarity of necessity. It is happening every single day, every single moment, and not just in this pandemic. And it feels as strange and distant as the thought of visiting the farthest star. Grief-stricken, we sometimes say, I never expected it. It was so out of the blue. 
We can't help but wrestle with the paradox of it in our mourning and in our celebration and in our lives. And we can remember those we love. Remembering is not living in the past. It is a recognition that the past lives in us. Our sorrow need not be a problem to be fixed, but rather it may be a part of our healing. Helen Keller wrote, We bereaved are not alone. We belong to the largest company in all the world, the company of those who have known suffering. When it seems that our sorrow is too great to be borne, let us think of the great family of the heavy-hearted into which our grief has given us entrance. And inevitably, we will feel about us their arms, their sympathy, their understanding. Bring your need for healing and your powers to heal. There is work to do. In the last weeks of the dying year, the veil is thinning as it does between our bright and busy world and the silence where the dead have gone. They whisper now, remember, remember who we are. Remember who you are. Be brave. In their honor, in their name, in the name of the nurse and the doctor, the aide, may we never develop herd immunity to sorrow or to weeping. Our dead and our living are worthy of our tears.